Welcome to the show. In this one, I talk with battle rapper Sidney Eubanks, better known as Phonetic. He's been in the Alaska hip-hop scene now for over 20 years. He started making music in Sitka and then doing live shows in Juneau. He says that being from Sitka, a small town in Alaska, he understood that battle rapping was the fastest way to build his name and get respect. So in 2002, he went to Seattle to compete in a big battle event called Brainstorm. He did well in the competition, and it gave him the confidence he needed to come back to Alaska and start a battle scene there. He called these Alaska battle events Word of the Wise, and they hosted local battle rappers and legendary battle rappers from outside of Alaska. Word of the Wise went on for nine years, cultivating and nurturing seasoned and up-and-coming battle rappers alike. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the Crude Magazine Patreon subscribers. If you already subscribed to the Crude Magazine Patreon, thank you. For those listeners who aren't, please consider subscribing at patreon.com slash crude magazine. That's patreon.com slash crude magazine. And pick the subscription tier that works for you. I want to thank everyone subscribed at the Company Man tier. These are the people who have subscribed to the Crude Patreon for $50 or more. Trina Duber. Seward Brewing Company, The Grind Coffee Shop in Juneau, Derek Adolph, Blue and Gold Board Shop, Sharon Liska, Alaska Surf Adventure, Aquila Space, and Northern Knives. Thank you to all the Patreon subscribers. Your money and your support make these conversations possible. You can also support this podcast with a one-time payment at buymeacoffee.com slash crudemagazine. That's buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. And if you have a chance to rate or review Crude Conversations on Apple Podcasts, please do. Also, you can now get crude apparel and merchandise at TeePublic. From t-shirts to hoodies to stickers and even baby onesies. Just go to the Crude Instagram and click the link in the bio. Okay, back to Phonetic. He hasn't performed on stage since 2016, the same year he decided to stop making music. He had moved to Seattle to pursue being a rapper, and things were going good there, but he was also struggling with mental health issues and living away from his kids. So he eventually moved home, and for eight years, he's been trying to find a balance between the things he loves and the things he needs. Coaching high school basketball has been a big part of that balance. It was actually the inspiration for his new album, Mindful of the Menticide which deals with uncertainty and mental illness. Where he's at right now, mentally and physically, he says that he's found a way to do all the things that he loves. He gets to coach, and he gets to rap. So here he is, phonetic. <laughs> this red light right here, it means we're recording. Okay, fired up. Crude Conversations. Listen more, then you talk. Go to work. So Sid, I am yes. I'm 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 excited to talk to you today, man. I feel like this has been a long time coming. Yeah, since we worked together last, uh, it's been a while, and you've you've changed your 
platform and it's grown quite a bit. Yeah. Before we, we worked with each other on issue three of crude arrogant minds. And I remember sitting in Gwenny's in Anchorage, having breakfast with you, Alcoda and indefinite etiquette. Yes. I remember that very well. Okay. So I started writing these questions down and I realized like I kind of just drop straight into it. You know, there's no, uh, I don't know, like no preamble. And the more that I started writing these, I was like, you know, I think this is a, this is a fun way to start. So I'm just going to go ahead and yeah, drop into it. So how would you describe a battle rapper? Uh, a current battle rapper is uh, the the current format, there's no music accompanying it, so uh, it's written, which means you get to plan for your opponent, and it's before a battle rapper was someone who might have been trying to promote his music or promote himself, and battle rap was just a necessity or a rite to passage, where now you have guys that are just battle rappers, it's a it's an actual genre, and they might not even be interested in making music or making music or anything else to promote other than them as a battle rapper. It really is something in hip hop. It's one of the last things, you know, there's, there's break dancing and there's, there's def, uh, DJing and graffiti and stuff, but not, not very often is it uh, the precipice of skill and how good you are at the craft that gets rewarded. And so that's one thing I really respect about the current battle rapper is it's difficult. It's scary. You're taking a risk. You're risking your reputation and you're risking um, just, you know, your namesake. And so a battle rapper, I would say it's it's a very competitive. Um, it's kind of like a boxer or a fighter. Do you remember the first battle you were in? Yeah, it the first battle tournament I went to, because I used to battle, uh, you know, just on the side running into MCs when that would happen. But the first battle tournament I went to was in Seattle. It was a big battle tournament. It was quite the experience. There's about 500 people there and um, names that I knew. And uh, yeah, it was a very uh, nerve wracking experience for sure. But it was a I, fun time. I bet. So that first first battle competition in Seattle, what year was that? That was, that's a good question. That was 2003 or four. Yeah. Long time ago, almost 20 years. So what was your impression after, you know, you had been just battling other MCs just kind of around you. And then you went to that, that competition in Seattle. What was your perception of it? after that experience? So <clears throat> I I did really well in my first battle. I got put up against, because I wasn't known very well. I got put up against a guy that was known. And, and I did really well. And I beat him and I went on to the next round. And just my own inexperience got the best of me. Um, the guy I battled next wasn't as good as the first guy, but I didn't perform as well. And it, it gave me confidence, though. So when I left there i told all my uh, label mates and the people i was making music with i said this is i'm gonna take over alaska i'm gonna go any all comers i'm gonna take them on and then i went to the juice competition up in anchorage they had had been doing that i think it was the third year they had done it and a cream was the host and i was handing out demos and i asked everybody 
<clears throat> who the best battler was there, and they pointed to this kid. His name was Grasshopper. So I started writing pre prebuttals in my head about him, and then, of course, luck of the draw, I drew him first. And we had an epic battle, and uh, that's kind of how I got my name on the scene. You know, battling wasn't battling was a necessity for me. It wasn't something that I thought that I was really, really good at or something that I even wanted to be good at. Uh, there was other people that I rapped with that were better at that, and and they would warn me, you know, you're going to have to be good at this. This is, this is how you get your name out there. And being from mm -hmm. Sitka, small town in Alaska, it was the fastest way to build your name and get respect. Um, after I went to Anchorage and performed at Juice and did so well, I was I was a battle rapper after that point because I was addicted to that. It was yeah. a lot of fun. And when you're writing stuff for other people, you know, what does your research look like? You know, it's changed over the years. There's always, you could research people and you can find out little hidden gems about them, stuff like that. But it's really not that effective unless the whole room and everybody else that's watching knows. So, and also, I, you know, I've had a battle in my history where it was with someone that I really, really, really did not like. And so I battled him that way. And even though I won and humiliated him, it, it, it didn't feel real good. Really? And so, uh, yeah, and um, it was really brutal. Like I had him crying and his girlfriend crying and his mom tried to physically punch me um but it, it didn't feel good so you know if if i was to battle someone i didn't like or that i thought should be reprimanded in some sort of way then i might i might go a little personal but really it's <clears throat> it's your writing skill and your creativity you can turn anything into an angle literally anything you could turn not having an angle into an angle so there's really no need to get personal unless, you know, battle rappers, they'll carry uh, certain things about them. Like um, one of my good friends is a teacher. So every time he battles, uh, he gets teacher bars. And and so, you know, where you're from, those are kind of personal angles at work. And like maybe your, maybe your physical appearance. But it's not like when you research, you're going to get real personal. But it's also really fun to get really creative when you're researching and try to find little things that will work that are, are creative and obscure. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the fun of it. You know, that situation that you just mentioned when you, you made that, that other battle rapper and his girlfriend cry and yes. his mom wanted to hit you. I feel like from an outside perspective, because I've watched, you know, I watched grind time now, you know, that mm -hmm. was, I watched that like religiously when it was coming out. I, I loved love those and my favorite ones were the ones that were the most brutal but maybe from an outside perspective um that's maybe what i what i wanted and those were my favorite but maybe from the inside perspective from like you know the battle rapper perspective they're like when they get it you know they get the most brutal bars they're like maybe i didn't want those yeah you know it <clears throat> gotta remember i'm 43 so my opinion has changed and such and you know some of these younger hungry battle rappers and when i was that age um if you're really trying to make a name for yourself you might be willing to just do whatever and and if there is someone doing that i'm not going to judge them necessarily or be like oh that's whack but mm -hmm. um as far as me there's just it's not always 
uh, if I win, but how I win, or even even if I don't even care if I win. It's more like I got to represent myself and my on, you know, be truthful to myself. So I'm to the point where I realize a battle is going to be online for a really long time, and if I'm going to have people's attention, I want to say something real instead of just beat my opponent. So really, I, when I I approach my battles, I'm not even looking at like how can I destroy this guy most of the time. Um, I'm I'm more just how could I impress my peers and how could I be happy with what I say and 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 you know just represent myself well. Did it take you some time to get there, or do you feel like you were you were like that from the beginning? No, no, no. It took time to get there. I I quit rapping and performing probably about six years ago, and I'm just now getting back into it and walking away from all of it and coming back, I don't have that ego where I'm like, okay, if I lose, I'm going to feel like a failure and I'm going to be completely embarrassed. Uh, it's really, I'm not embarrassed. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. really hard to embarrass me nowadays. And I, I, I have more confidence in, in who I am, I guess. And um, I'm not really trying to climb the top of the mountain. I'm just trying to be on the mountain. Mm-hmm. How do you think a battle rapper is different from a rapper focused on making songs and albums? Yeah, it, it's a completely different animal. I mean, it, it's a different muscle. It's two different sports. One one can help the other. Mm-hmm. I truly believe that. I think battling, one of the reasons why I continue to battle, it really has helped my music writing and my songwriting. Um, but they're just two different, two different animals. And I think when you put on music, the the melody and the sound of the music and, and how you're feeling and the rhythm of the music, it can inspire a lot of what you're creating where when you're when you're battle rapping, for me it's a lot harder to come up with material when I'm battle rapping because it's just you're going from scratch. There's not much to work with. When when I hear music, um, the words come to me and, and the, the ideas come to me and the feeling comes to me, but I gotta really grind to come up with material so you know i would say more music is more feeling and and battle rap is more calculated a little bit more aggressive Mm -hmm. so i feel like it's always been difficult for battle rappers to break into making songs and albums you know I, i told you that back in the day probably back in college so this would have been um 2000 10 2009 2008 mm-hmm. i was watching you know grind time now those battle those battles religiously and every time that one of those rappers was like i'm gonna make a song or mm-hmm. i'm gonna make an album it just it wasn't there and i wonder first off if that's been not maybe not your personal experience but that's maybe what you've seen as well and why do you think that might be? I think that it's just two different muscles, and and that was a really big stigma, especially during the grind time era. Uh, I, I just think if you're going to make a music when you when you battle, you're trying to show your skill, you're trying to impress with every word. There's not much room for error, and when you're making a song, um, you, you know if you're a, I think hip hop heads are underground rappers or backpack rappers whichever you want to use uh, they're trying so hard to 
show their skill as they're making a song. Whereas, you know, a really good song, if if you write out the rhyme pattern, it might not be every syllable that rhymes perfectly. It might only be one syllable that rhymes. Um, it's music, mm-hmm. and I I personally used to really bother me when when hip hop heads and battle rappers and people like that would would try to make music and 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 hate on people making music that weren't showing off skill and they would think well that's not good music they're not using eight syllables every single rhyme okay um music is music it's got to have melody it's got to have the right rhythm it's got to have feeling it's it's about feeling and so it's kind of like uh an and one basketball player he can dribble his little hands off but when you put a referee in a crowd there there's certain rules you got to go by and and you know there's certain parameters in music that you gotta, you know, be up upheld in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Something I noticed about your new album was that the beats, they sound like battle beats to me. You know, boom bap and looping. Mm-hmm. Are you talking about the Johnny Kohler version, the Mindful of the Mentis side? Yeah, he he went very sample based. I really, really loved his production. What's really interesting on that project is. I recorded that all to YouTube beats that I had found that I couldn't necessarily use. So he took all the vocals after the project was done and made those beats around them. And he did a really, really good job enhancing the message that I was sending and the writing on the album. And yeah, it definitely has a very old school, a very uh, simplistic feel, which I really liked. You said that when you originally wrote that album, those lyrics, they were to YouTube beats. So I listened to the Johnny Kohler version. Is that not the original? No, the, see, I just started recording for the fun of it. And, and instead of trying to find a lot of times when you go to make a song, you might write the lyrics and not own the beat, or you might uh, pick the beat that you bought for $500 and try to write to that specific beat. But I just wanted to record and write, so I was just finding beats that I really liked and started recording to them. And then all of a sudden I had this project done and I had to find a way to be able to make it my own and be able to sell it and sample copyrights and all that stuff. So I approached Johnny, who had remixed one of my earlier songs in a contest I had for Sounded Out, and he knocked that one out of the park. So Mm -hmm. um, he took a song that was very upbeat and very uh, aggressive and he made it really pretty and soft and put a melody to it it made it sound like a completely different song what's really interesting is if you listen to the first version of my album and the and the version that he did you would think it's two different vocals but it's not it's the same vocals and he he did a really amazing job with that project so when you're you're looking at both of those versions are you are you thinking that the first version was maybe closer to what you were going for or the second version? Well, the, that's a great question. The first version, there was a specific order to the songs and one led into the other and the topic. And I really had it thought out when I gave it to him. I told him, I don't, I don't, you do whatever you want. You put it in whatever order you want. And, and he put the first song last and the last song first. So um, it was, really interesting because his version really highlighted my message and that's really what i was going for is the message and Mm -hmm. also i felt like it was some of the best writing i had done and i feel like his version really highlighted the 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 skill of the writing and the and the rhyming and the metaphors and the 
and the skill of everything. I when I listened to the first version because I've gone back and forth. I listened to Johnny Kohler's version for a month or two, and now just recently I've gone back to the original. And they they both have they both have something to take from it. I really really like both versions, and they're both different. Mm -hmm. Before this conversation, we were messaging on Instagram, and you said there's a lot to unpack in this project, and that you've never spoken to anyone about it. What stuff were you talking about? Um, specifically, there's a song on the album called Heal Thyself, which is um, dealing with uh, suicidal thoughts and thoughts that I've battled with, you know, more more as a kid, actually, and a teenager than and as, as an adult. But I'd never really, I had hinted here and there on projects before. Um, I'd never really met it head on. It's something that is... Mm, not always the most comfortable thing to talk about and uh, a little bit of shame and having those type of thoughts. And the reason why I decided to speak about it is because <clears throat> I'm sure people that have these thoughts or have dealt with those thoughts feel the exact same way I do. And mm -hmm. they, they don't like to talk about it. They don't want to admit it. And they, and I thought that I could help um, specifically this, this project. Uh, the reason, why I felt like I needed to make music. There was a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons is um, a certain kid I was coaching, and he doesn't even know this, but a, a parent came to me and said, hey man, you really helped my kid. <clears throat> he's getting up 5.30 in the morning, he's working out, and I don't know how you're doing that, but that's amazing. And also, he's dealt with some depression, and he's dealt with some suicidal thoughts, and I haven't seen him like this in a long time so whatever you're doing please keep doing it and when i heard that i was like yeah i probably should talk about this now so um i've never really spoken about it to that kid or any of the kids that i coach but when i made this album it was during when i was coaching them mm -hmm. and a lot of this was a message to them i i didn't know at the time i was writing the album that um it would be or who would listen to it, but I knew they would listen to it. I knew the 20 kids in the gym that I was coaching were going to listen to it. So <clears throat> I was really conscious of that when I wrote this album. Thinking about that impact that you have on that kid, that, that positive impact, you know, if, if you were younger or when you were younger, did you think that that would be your future? No, but... I really pulled from things like that. Like the whole reason why I make music and love making music is because I was that kid and I needed something and music was something I definitely leaned on. So when I go to make music, that's what I want to be. I want to be able to be that void for someone. And no, I, I didn't really think that I would be in this position. It's really interesting too, because I coach in the same program that I was a part of in high school and I did not succeed in that program. So um, it's really neat to be able to go back and be that person that could have helped myself and help others. It's super rewarding. Um, one of the reasons I wanted to sell a million albums wasn't necessarily for money. It was to get my message out and help as many people as possible. And <clears throat> the cool thing about music is you can help a lot of people and you never know who you're helping because there could be thousands of people at a time listening to your music. But mm -hmm. what's really cool about the coaching was it's real, real hands-on and you get to see the effect you're making right there every day with the kids. And uh, it's, it's just as enjoyable. It's definitely a, a transfer. When I stopped doing music, I started coaching and it was 
more rewarding than making music, honestly. You know, something that you said earlier was that you didn't succeed in this same program that you are coaching in right now when you were younger. Yes. How much did that affect your decision for getting into this program as, you know, a teacher or a mentor? Yeah, I think I think that had a really profound effect on me in general. And I think when I started making music, um, I, I, I leaned on that experience because in high school, I was a really, really late bloomer. I always wanted to be a tall, strong, athletic kid. And I, I wasn't until after high school. And then after high school, I was six foot four, 200 pounds. I could dunk a basketball. Mm -hmm. um, and I realized that I had given up on my dream of playing college ball a little too early. So when I started making music, I, I, I wasn't going to stop no matter what. I knew it was going to be a long process and I was going to use that experience from failing in, in sports uh, to, to gain, you know, to pull from, for music. Why'd you give up on playing college basketball? No, I, it's a combination of, uh, just being an idiot, a knucklehead and just circumstances, just being from Sitka and, uh, not really getting recruited. And, and that's not an excuse, but at the time that seemed like a, a good enough excuse. And, and then I had, a kid and and a family real quick out of high school so after that it was it was pay bills and take care of business you know something that i always think about because i grew up snowboarding and you know i was in such a perfect position to carry that dream all the way to you know whatever that end looked like you know being a professional and getting paid full-time to do that but i i made kind of a conscious decision to move back to Alaska when I was about a junior in high school and um, just go back to school and be there with my friends and my girlfriend who is now my wife and um, I think maybe in that moment I was like man I did I give up on that did I give up on that dream and then now looking back on it it was probably the most important decision I ever made yeah, I can relate totally because I was living in Wyoming and I had a really good job and word of the wise was at its full peak and I I was getting opportunities to go open for this rapper and go to this show and everything was going great and I made the decision to move back home <clears throat> and it was really, really hard and I had that same thought like, is this me giving up? I, I can remember even when I moved back to town, one of my friends um, I'm working a new job and he pulled over on the side of the road when he saw me. He got out of his truck, pointed at me and laughed, got back in his truck and left. Now, <clears throat> he was a friend, so he was giving me a hard time. But that was pretty much how it felt when I moved back back home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I agree. It was the best decision I ever made. And it took it took eight years to realize that. What kind of kid were you? I, you know, I... <laughs> I never really fit in, but I was friends with everybody. I I was in the band. We had a really good band in Sitka. It's probably the one thing that we had excelled in in our schooling. Um, so I was in the band. I was I was good at the band, but I wasn't a band nerd. They thought I was a, a jock. And I was on the basketball team, but they didn't think I was a jock. They thought I was a band geek stoner. 
and I had <laughs> and I had stoner friends, and they didn't think I was a stoner. They thought I was a band geek. I, I even had a a group of friends that I made in elementary because I don't know if you remember Battle of the Books, but it was a big thing here. And yeah. I was a really good reader, and we used to kick ass. So I had this group of friends that was super nerdy too, and like the smartest kids in the school. And I did not fit in in that group either. <laughs> <laughs> So you're reading a bunch of books. Do you remember what was your favorite book or your favorite author? Uh, yeah, the, you know, there was one that always stuck out. It was called Banner in the Sky. I don't know if you ever read that book. It was about a, a young climber that had an uncle that was a climber and, and the Citadel and it was over in the Alps somewhere, somewhere. But yeah, I remember that book very well. It sticks out very well in my mind. I always think about Motley Crue, The Dirt, that book, because mm -hmm. that book was the book that got me into reading books. And I have since like gone back to it and tried to read it, but I'm just not in that headspace anymore. You know, not, yeah. not really into reading about the, the escapades of, of, uh, you know, rock stars mm -hmm. um but i always credit that book for really getting me into reading books because ever since i was a kid i was like i want to be a reader yeah i think the trick is finding the book that you will enjoy i'm currently trying to get my son to start reading and he hasn't but i'm trying to express to him you, if you just find a book that you like you'll be hooked forever yeah absolutely you know i don't have this written down Actually, I haven't had a lot of these written down, but I wonder if the fact that you are and you have been a voracious reader, if that affects, you know, your your writing, you know, your your because you're very lyrical, you know, like if you listen to it, you're if you listen to your music, I've always been and continue to be impressed by oh he rhymed that with that oh that's a that's a cool way to do that you know it's not uh you know you're not a one-trick pony right you know i think i appreciate that no it definitely helps and <clears throat> i think the music being able to read music helps and also i think being a battle rapper helps with that um <clears throat> that's one of the things with battle rap is you you can write a song but the battle rap side of you is going to try to always put those Easter eggs in there. So the, the person that's reading deep into it doesn't get bored. Mm -hmm. And that's what I really, really like about what battle rap has helped me as a writer. But yeah, definitely. Mm. Okay. So the title of the new album is mindful of the menticide. What do you mean by that? Well, <clears throat> I believe that menticide is actually a funny word because if you look it up, um, it is a word, but, a lot of the, a lot of the dictionaries that you get won't recognize it. I don't know. I don't know what that's about. But menticide is basically the, like the genocide of the people, but a mental genocide. And and I believe that uh, anytime there's a large group of people and someone in charge of that large group of people, thought control and mind control is going to be very important because you're going to want that large group of people. It's not some big giant conspiracy, but there's definitely a lot of money and time spent on making sure we're uh, divided and thinking a certain way and I've never felt that so strong in my life as the last two years since we've been uh, locked up in our houses and dealing with the pandemic I, I believe everybody can feel it everywhere I look people are feeling the same thing um, <clears throat> it feels like the walls are closing in 
and I just wanted to address that. What's funny is most of the album was written before any of this stuff started happening. A lot of the album is kind of old as far as the writing, but <clears throat> it was something that I was talking about and looking into before all this happened and something I, I always felt, and I've told my son his whole life, and he hates that I was right, that something like this was going to happen, something big, but not that uh, dramatic, uh, just a change, you know, there's, we're on a system, and we're in a bubble, and it, if you look into it, you could see that that bubble is going to pop, um, we just can't sustain certain things, and I feel like there has been a, a wool pulled over a lot of people's eyes, and it, it's really hard to even figure out the truth, I mean, I've really been big on truth in the last decade and trying to find out my truth and try to be honest with myself and honest with everybody. <clears throat> and I think that's one thing that's really hard to do now is you watch the news, you you watch podcasts, you, you listen to music, you watch movies, um, any media, social media. It's really hard to find the truth. And I believe some of that is intentional. Mm -hmm. And... And that's basically what I'm referring to with the title of the album. So being mindful of all of that, you know, how do you think that that affects you? Um, it's, it's definitely a burden. It's, it's really easy to, you know, what's the matrix? This, you eat the steak and ignorance is bliss. I mean, there's so much truth to that. It's, <clears throat> it's a burden. It's a burden to be conscious of it. And so it's, it's a weight to carry, but it's also, if you are conscious of it, you, you have to find a way to fight back. And what, what a lot of people don't realize or what I didn't realize is little things make a big difference and little contributions can go a long way. So it's like making this album, you know, even if the 20 kids that I coach are the only ones that listen to it, it's, it's going to make a difference and it will create a difference in their lives and then they'll make a ripple in the waves mm -hmm. and <clears throat> there's a big snowball effect to all that and i think people underestimate just how much a little bit of good can do mm -hmm. so something that i noticed about this album is that it's very introspective and contemplative and like i said before it's it's super lyrical i really loved and appreciated the whole album but I think the song Consciousness, the mm. last song on the album, had some of my favorite lyrics. I really liked when you said, surrounded by a trap that keeps me drowning in my tendencies, I'm trying to figure out how to balance it out chemically. And on a disease, they try to make a bankroll. The system diagnosed you, then the government makes dope, puts cuffs on an addict, attacks him as a scapegoat. If ignorance is a habit, then I just ask you to take note. Yeah, I love that lyric. Yeah, and <clears throat> that song, that song was written before the whole pandemic and everything went down, but it was basically um, about something like that happening. And <clears throat> uh, that verse in particular, I wrote maybe eight years ago. And it's just about, there's a lot of wordplay in there, you know, if, if uh, the habit and take note, you know, it's like, I hope you listen, but I'm only asking you to take notes. I'm not asking you to take a drug. Mm -hmm. um, 
I feel like the pharmaceutical companies in America have have been very detrimental and that's kind of what I'm referring to there and there's it's one thing for companies to put out a product that's going to make people an addict um, and then it's really easy to point at addicts on the street you know our homelessness population has gotten out of control it's really easy to see someone like that and not have the conscious mind that they're a person and how they got there and just see the finished result and I, I think that a lot of those institutions um, have a responsibility for all that that's kind of what I'm referring to there mm -hmm. what do you think is the most personal song or one of the most personal songs on this album yeah you know they're all pretty personal but I probably heal thyself is is the most the deepest I went that was a really really hard song to write and <clears throat> I had the song done it was the last song I released I I really really had a hard time releasing it um, the video on YouTube with the lyrics it, it's it was really hard to put that out there I didn't want uh, my friends and family to be worried about me and I didn't want them to think that um, I was looking for something that I wasn't getting it's it was really just something I felt I had to talk about and I wouldn't have been able to talk about it if I hadn't overcome a lot of those demons but definitely that song did you have any conversations with friends or family that resulted from them listening to that song you know it's a really good question I haven't yet I think I haven't no I, I had had some close conversations with close friends that heard it before it came out but since since that's come out no nobody I think people are afraid to maybe talk to me about it I have gotten some I love yous and and people checking in on me so but no <clears throat> I haven't really had anybody speak of it which you know it's a good sign I think nobody's been like oh are you okay I didn't know this or it's probably uncomfortable and that's why I was afraid to put it out. But no, I, I haven't had those conversations yet. Those people that heard it before it came out, the ones that you talked to, what were those conversations like? Well, I have a f close friend that helped me record and you know, he was, he was just very encouraging just to be honest and put it out there. And he's a big fan of my music. So it was, it was, you know, a really positive thing to have him here but that's pretty much the only person that heard it before it came out and for people who might not be familiar with the song could you describe what it's about yeah it's it's <clears throat> so it's called heal thyself and basically the song is about overcoming um, depression mental illness and uh, it it dives in the first first half of the song dives into those feelings and the second half of those the song dives into overcoming those feelings and it's kind of a, a guide in a way um, it just parallels years really decades of, of overcoming certain traps in your mind and um, how how wrong it is and but also at the same time how real it is you know if if you don't mind getting into a little bit of that mind state that you were having, the ones that, 
or the, the mind state that um, kind of inspired this song? Yeah, you know, <clears throat> for me personally, there's, I, I have people to protect, so I can't get too deep into it, but there was always this uh, feeling I had, and it was something, there was just something not right, and I, and I didn't know what it was as a kid, and so it was really confusing. Um, as an adult, as time has gone on, I've, I've discovered this, what the truth was, and when I discovered that truth, a lot of people in my life were like, oh man, this is going to be really hard for you, but it wasn't hard. It was actually very, um, it, it, there was closure to what I was trying to figure out pretty much my entire life. So <clears throat> those thoughts are just more of confusion and um, discouragement and not knowing my place, my identity, who I was, where I was from, um, <clears throat> where I belong. And then you, you know, when I started doing music, it was like, I told you when I was a kid, I didn't really fit in anywhere. And, and mm -hmm. it kind of was the same in my family. When I started doing hip hop, it was the first time that I was accepted with open arms and loved completely. I would go to Anchorage and perform and everyone would be like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, he's really <laughs> talented. He's really good. And, and yeah, like we, we welcome you, you know, white guy from Sitka, you're, you're dope. And then I come back home and it's like, people don't really see that. They don't really know what's going on. And of course I'm going to fall in love with that family that I made. And so the problem is, is a lot of those things that give you the motivation to get on stage and keep making music aren't necessarily healthy. You're just feeling a very unhealthy void. So throughout my career, as it grew and got bigger and I, and I got better and I made it further, I started to realize and discover kind of the the band-aid that I was putting on and and the scars that I was hiding with music and so it was about that time that I moved back and because I moved back I stopped doing music I didn't stop doing music because I realized I was doing it for the wrong reasons but <clears throat> the two things coincided so when I came back to making music um, it's it's a lot more honest uh, I'm not doing it to feed my ego and as a rapper you're basically basically a professional egotistic person so it's like you're just enhancing your ego as big as you can and promoting your ego and I got really tired of that and also I think because I was leading with my ego so much that it was starting to be not as honest music and I didn't even really like some of the stuff I was making it was, a lot of it was like party music stuff like that and so it, it's really easy to come back now and now that I've healed myself um, make music from an honest place and make music for the right reason and you know it's I'll, I'll make music forever for myself and I realize now that I need that it's part of the recipe that what makes me get up every day um, but I'm not concerned with how many people hear it or if if it sells a million or if I you know I used to want to win a Grammy but I could 
I could crap on a Grammy and give two shits about it right now. Just <laughs> no offense to the Grammys. It's just not what I'm, I'm not trying to win awards, you know? Yeah. I feel like maybe at least how I am, um, especially with these, these podcasts is it's amazing that people listen to them, but also like, you know, there's two reasons I do this. And one is the most important one to me is to preserve these conversations from people who I think and I believe are representative of Alaska and Alaskan cultures. And to have like a library of that is is the most important thing to me. And maybe maybe in the beginning before the podcast when I was writing articles and doing the magazine, the physical magazine, you know, I'm daydreaming about, oh, it'd be sweet if a million people pick this up. But then the longer I did it and the older I've gotten, you know, I, I've realized the the other benefits to my well-being. Yeah, totally. I totally relate to that. So when you came to Anchorage, you know, when you were younger and you said that the the hip hop community in Anchorage really welcomed you. Do you remember who those people were? Well, I mean, I came to that juice event and I was handing out CDs and I mean, cream was the host and he called me the next week and he wanted to sign me. And he said that everybody had a buzz about the CDs I was handing out. And then when I came back, there was one, I had done a few shows with them, but there was one show in particular where Arctic Flow had been Arctic Flow, so they weren't getting that uh, that feeling in their stomach when they had shows. But I was very much into performing still and not had the opportunities that they had. So there was a show. It was at uh, oh man, oh the 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 blues jazz blues. There's like a little blues club. It's like this hole in the wall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in Anchorage. I can't think of the name of it right now, but. I was on the flyer and my Blue face Central. was on the flyer. Blue Central. And uh, I went up and actually Arctic Flow ended up opening for me or I opened for them. I can't remember, but I was on point and they <laughs> were just doing another show. And and I, I, I mean, I was, I killed it. And I remember I was, I had their songs memorized better than they did because like during certain verses I was like getting Josh Boots and A Cream back on track on their verses because I was actually rapping them on the mic and they were like, what's my line again? I'm like, oh yeah. And so <laughs> the next time I came back was a atmosphere show actually and Josh Boots pulls me aside and he's like, you asshole. And he's being funny. I'm like, what, what, what? And he's like, everybody, the rumor around, around Anchorage is that uh, phonetic outshined Arctic flow at the last show and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, you guys, you weren't on point. <laughs> He's like, I know, but we are now. And so that, that I always remember that. And, and Josh boots was, you know, cream's the one that signed me, but Josh was a little bit more skeptical when cream found me, he, he showed my stuff and they were like, oh, you know, I was kind of uh, a step in the wrong direction. They were, they were very um, street oriented and I was, not that direction they that Josh wanted to go at the time and him and I have had conversations about this and laugh about it now but uh, he didn't necessarily want to have me be part of Arctic Flow so that's why they started Icebox Entertainment mm -hmm. but then when I started showing up and rapping it was like Josh was like oh my god this guy and, and him and earning his respect was really really big to me because he was skeptical at first 
Yeah, that's awesome. So you've been involved in the Alaska hip hop scene for decades now. If you were to tell a story about the scene to someone who has no frame of reference for it, what would you tell them? It's trapped. It's it's not pretty. I mean, we, we had momentum. We had momentum when it was physical CDs and physical shows. And what really held us back was was geographically. Um, the, the trick back then was you would take three cities in a 90 square mile area and you would start performing in those cities and you'd build up a, a base and you'd sell merchandise. And the next thing you know, those three cities bleed into each other. And then you go pick three cities close to that and you start over and you keep going back to those three mm-hmm. and you could do some damage in a region where i mean we just we just didn't have that opportunity and then right at, at the end of when we were doing our thing the internet came so then it became a lot more open and i think i'm honestly not as tuned in to the alaskan artists because i know that there are some out there that have had some pretty decent success and there's a couple that I really like that I listen to but it's definitely different now because the the borders aren't as solid as they used to be and you can get on the internet and promote but you know at the same time there was a lot more shows back then and there was a lot more of a culture and the way to really get good at something is is through culture and and there was a lot of really good MCs back then that could get on stage battle write a song, um, perform Mm -hmm. and open for whatever artists they want because they're good enough to share the stage with them. And and I think that that's gone away from what I can tell. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of really great uh, performing acts. I know there's a couple, but it doesn't seem like there's as many. It doesn't seem like it's as much of a premium to get on stage and perform. Um, (laughs) But if I was going to describe Alaska... It's just really isolated, and a lot of places that are isolated for that reason make really good art, and I think Alaska does. Uh, it's not it's not widely shared or known, but I, I feel like the artists that have always been from here have been special artists, whether it's skateboarders or snowboarders or rappers or uh, magazine and, and podcast creators. I just think people have a lot of pride here, and... and really enjoy what they do and go the extra mile. Something that I've heard other groups, small groups in Alaska that are following and representing a culture like hip hop or maybe even journalism or music, you know, like, um, you know, indie bands in Alaska is that they're always so proud of how tight knit and supportive that community is. And something that I always think of is that's really wonderful. Um, but for the people who really want to make it a career and want to pursue it in um, maybe a big way, like a, a full-time way, I wonder how much of that is maybe a self-justification. Like, oh, this is this is still cool because, you know, we're close-knit and we're really close together and... Yeah, you know, we support each other. Yeah, I think there's both sides of that coin for sure. It can definitely, it can definitely help and hold you back. Um, I know that a lot of scenes around the country, and actually a particular artist talked to me about this and said, "There's all these pockets around the country, and they some of them haven't popped yet. And once they pop, 
meaning an artist from there goes big. They're never the same. Mm -hmm. And it's really like a golden era of hip hop for that scene. And, and this artist was telling me it'll never be as good. And so he was warning, enjoy what you have because somebody will make it big and it will never be the same because everybody will be trying to be that artist or try to follow the same blueprint or um, not give you validation because of that artist and, and various things. So that was always something that I held and listened to and thought about when I thought about Alaska. I, it's, it's unique because it's so hard. It's, you know, we're, we're 800 miles from Seattle and then you're 800 miles from me in Anchorage. So it's, it's a big, big state. And then you can go another 800 miles to, to Fairbanks. Um, but, but it's just isolated and it makes it really, really tough, but it also makes it really unique and interesting. Yeah. That's really interesting. What that, that one artist was telling you, because when you think of, you know, rap music in the South, um, or rap music from, uh, California, or New York, you know, they, they have a very distinctive sound and from, you know, interpreting from what you just said is that maybe that sound wasn't always that sound before it popped, but now, you know, that it popped however long ago and it got big, they're known for that sound. Yeah. And this is kind of off brand, off topic, but on topic. Another artist was telling me about regions that sell and their sound. And he was saying, for instance, and this was 2008, when the Southern hip hop was really making a big push and was really, really big. Mm -hmm. And he just said, most people don't realize why uh, music is so big in the South. And the reason why hip hop is so big in the South right now is because it's the last region in the country where people go to the CD store on Tuesday and buy a CD and put it in their CD player. And um, there's not enough people in Alaska to generate that type of need or want for uh, people to pay attention to you. You know what I mean? Like, there's no poll where, oh, there's a popular, you know, this, this region has something where we can actually market it and make money off of them. So I think that's a big part of Alaska not being ever part of the scene as well because sometimes it's just just simply financial numbers if you knew what you know now would you have done anything differently yeah i definitely would <laughs> <laughs> i would have started a youtube channel when it came out and if if arctic flow and icebox at that time could have just started capturing the content just had a a camera rolling if we could have just had a camera rolling for all the stuff we did and saw uh, we would have been just fine you know what was really interesting and pretty awesome is when issue three arrogant minds crude um, the physical issue came out I I did some traveling and just dropping the magazine off at um, just some stores and I dropped one off at a snowboard and skateboard store in Portland and you know I waited in line for the cashier and I walked up and I'm like hey I just want you guys to have this magazine uh and they noticed or they recognized Josh Boots That's like hilarious. just this this random cashier because you know Arctic Flow music was in those uh old JB Deuce 
snowboard and skateboard, you know, Alaska snowboard and skateboard videos. And also I'm pretty sure think Think snowboard videos. And so, you know, it was, it was within the conversation of snow and skate culture. Yeah, that's awesome. And you know, Josh, I mean, a cream soiled seed and boots, they're all super talented. And Josh was one of those guys and a cream and soiled seed. When I stood next to them on stage, and then I went around the country and I would go stand on stage next to either local, not that big of names or local, very big names or national names. Um, I felt the same feeling standing next to the highest paid top tier national artists as I did standing next to those guys. Mm-hmm. And when I stood next to the no names, not very well on the scene, I was very unimpressed. And I realized then how talented these guys were that I rapped with. It wasn't, I mean, Josh Boots is right up there with you name it mm-hmm. as far as what he brought to the table. Um, and, and it took me traveling around to realize that, um, you know, I, I, I lived in Seattle for a summer and there was really, really dope artists. And, but there was only a, a handful of groups that could do what we were doing on stage, you know, and then, um, there were much bigger names at us that were getting bigger shows and more popular and you go watch their show and, and no offense not to say anything negative, but it's just, it just wasn't the same, you know? What do you think made those guys, you know, like Josh Boots, Soiled Seed, A-Cream, what do you think made them so special on stage? I, I don't know how they got to that point, but there, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot that goes into uh stage presence but you know confidence is a big one they definitely had that and they just had talent that you could feel and see and it was undeniable and that that's kind of what i'm referring to i've stood next to really really good mcs where you're just like oh my god and that's how it feels standing next to those guys where it's it's that's how good they are you know yeah maybe their command or their uh yeah they had on the stage they had so much command and and a cream had command on stage probably more command than than josh or daniel but then josh was just like just talented and had command it's like uh you know it's like watching a circus act it's like watching someone juggle um just you know you can't do that (laughs) Mm-hmm. So that's how it should, that's how I always felt when I when I rap I want to rap on stage and I want the the person watching or the layman to be like yeah I cannot do that. <laughs> Have you ever thought about or maybe had conversations with with those guys and thought about like why don't we just make you know the sickest Alaskan rap album in 2022? Yeah, definitely. Um I I don't know that the whole group four of us would be willing to do that just because we've grown certain ways. And like, I've, I've, I've talked to Josh a lot about making them because as far as an Alaskan album, the one that I really wanted to make was with Josh, because I felt like as skilled as he is when he raps with me and I'm biased, I like his stuff more than ever. I feel like the side that I pulled Josh to, is my favorite Josh. Um, and, and I feel like when I rap with him, the side he pulls me to is my favorite phonetic. Uh, we once got in a studio 
one day and we made six songs in one day and it was like the easiest thing we ever did and a couple of the songs never came out but they were really really popular um, the most popular song was the last song of the day we recorded and we did it in about 10 minutes seriously wrote it recorded it and that's the one everybody really liked so mm -hmm. um, I would love to make an album with Josh not that I wouldn't want to make them with the others but it's just I feel like as the MC side of me would really like to make an album with Josh as far as being challenged and um, I am actually working on a new project and Josh is going to be on it. I just was hanging out with him the other day and we found a beat that he really likes. So we are going to make a song on the next album that I'm doing. If this album between you and Josh happened, who would you like to produce it? That's a good question. I'm, I would like to do an Alaska, it would probably, Alcoda would probably be my first choice because I would like an Alaskan producer. And, and I think those those sides that we pull each other, Alcoda can meet us right in the middle. Mm -hmm. um, but also I'm, I'm working with uh, a new couple producers, but one, Marv One from Detroit uh, on my new project. And I really love his production. And uh, as, as long as he lets me keep using his production, I'm going to use his production. I'm a huge fan of his music, first of all. It's, it's really dope to me that I even get to use his beats. So um, I, I think that moving forward, I, I would love to do an uh, album with Marv One and Josh Boots. But if I had to pick an Alaskan producer, it would have to be Alcoda. That would be awesome. Yeah. I would, I would love to hear that. Yeah, me too. When you were younger and still relatively new to hip hop, did you imagine where you would take your music? No, not at all. And it's funny because you <clears throat> you can look at what I've accomplished and say complete failure and be right. And you could look at what I've done and say it's just amazing what you've accomplished and you, and you could be right. No, I didn't think that I would do the things that I did. If you if you told me that I was going to go do the things that, you know, hip hop provided some pretty unique experiences for me and I wouldn't have believed you if you told me when I started. You keep mentioning, you know, these these unique and wonderful and awesome um, experiences you've had. Do any stick out in your mind? Yeah, you know, I don't have, I don't like the name drop, but I had a period where I, I was I was at this phase where I was opening for every big name that came up here, and I it happened like six different shows in a row where the the headliner pulled me aside and was like who are you and uh, i'd be like oh I'm, I'm phonetic i'm from sitka and they're like oh you're really good and i'd be like oh thank you thank you and they'd be like no you know and and, and it happened like i'm serious artist after artist mm -hmm. and I'm like no i need to talk to you like who are you like you just killed it up there and they were like and they kept saying you need to leave this place you need to leave and that's when i moved to seattle and that's kind of what convinced me to move to Seattle and start trying to chase my dreams. But having some of my heroes pull me aside and tell me that they think I'm dope is like the badge that I wear. And, it, and it's a private little trophy that I carry around, but it means a lot to me. Do you feel like as you've gotten older, there's been a shift in the way that you pursue making music? Definitely. I, you know, it's, like you said, the album's very introspective, and and I I write when I need 
to get shit off my mind, but <clears throat> I think before I was less conscious of who might interpret it certain ways or maybe um, might take offense. And I'm a lot more cognizant of that now. I don't want to have self-serving music. I don't want to feel like I'm making a song to uh, make a point in my own personal life or or like a subtweet as a song or anything. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> I really I really tried on this album to make the album for other people. Uh, and, and I believe I did that, but the only way I really know how to do it is, is looking within and and pulling from within myself. So I, I it's it's kinda like a therapeutic thing and then I just let people <laughs> let people in on the secret. Mm -hmm. Earlier when we were talking, you said that you had a story you wanted to tell. It was when you were in Seattle and it was your lowest moment. Is that is that when you moved there? Well, I moved there and it was very exciting. And I was at a point in my life where um, I had been the sole caretaker of my kids and uh, everyone in my life, um, their mother was back on her feet and ready to and help in that direction. And everyone in my life was like, here, you need to go do this. You deserve it. You should be selfish right now. So <clears throat> I went there and very exciting, meeting very, very cool people. Um, it was really like a dream come true. Adrenaline going all day, just being a rapper. Uh, I, I met someone that had a venue there. I rented the venue. I started doing a monthly battle event there. Um, I was recording there. They had a club at the studio and I was working as a bouncer at the club for studio time. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Everything was really good except for uh, me personally. It just gave me a lot of time to reflect. I wasn't not around my kids for the first time in their life and I wasn't around any of my friends. I was living in a apartment, no furniture, just one bed and stuck with my thoughts and, and time to reflect. And I came back home to a really big show that they had here, Home Skillet Festival, and I got to see everybody, mm -hmm. and it was a great weekend, and then I had to go back down to Seattle, and it was a combination of things, the the letdown of all that, the realization that um, maybe living in Seattle and chasing my dream wasn't the answer to, to succeeding at my dream, and the realization of that um, also... Um, my father lived down there and I hadn't seen him in 10 years and we were starting to reconnect. So there was a whole bunch of stuff there, but I was basically just feeling really down and writing about it in my apartment that's on the 10th floor and touching on some of these suicidal thoughts in the song and having what I thought at the time was a really low moment. And as I'm writing, I look out the window and in the building next to me, there is, there was a commotion. That's what made me look. And I look and there's a, a young lady on top of the building and she's about to jump. And I could, I was very close to her. I could see her face. I could see the, I could see her makeup. I could see her clothes. I could see that she was really well-dressed and, and she was really close to jumping off 
that building. And so I sat there for three hours, and when I thought I was having a low moment, saw someone that was actually having a low moment. And about maybe two or three times, she got really close to jumping. And you could see her get close, and you could see her start to cry. You could see her face get red. Um, everyone down on the ground is saying, screaming, please don't, please don't. Now there's cops down there. This went on for three hours. I could not look away. The whole time I'm just saying, please don't do this. And she ended up not doing it. Ended up the cops came up there and grabbed her before she could. But... I think that moment cured me of me thinking that um, I would ever do that to myself or um, it, it cured those thoughts to where when I got them, I, I could realize how foolish they were because as I was sitting there looking at her, I just couldn't imagine what was going on. It was so bad that she was going to jump and here I was feeling, you know, in the same moment. So it was very therapeutic it was a very big moment and, um, I, I I think that I overcame all those thoughts right then and there. Yeah, it sounds like maybe those feelings and those thoughts that you've been having, you know, they're very personal. You know, they're they're within your own head and making sense of them. But seeing that woman maybe doing a version of the thing that you've been thinking about, it's, you know, those ideas... Um, have manifested right in front of your eyes and yeah, you're able to, absolutely. to see exactly what it looks like. Yeah. I could see it. You know, I, like I said, I could see it on her face and here I am trying to coach her, you know, I'm, I'm like, don't, 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 don't. And mm -hmm. who am I to even say that, you know? Yeah. You know, that's, that's a really special situation that you were put in. Yeah. You know, it's, it's one of those things that, I mean, I imagine you'll remember forever, but it's it's almost like a blessing in disguise for you and hopefully for her as well. Yeah, well, the, the interesting story about her is, is when I lived in Seattle, I lived right next to the courthouse. She was in court because um, it was on the news after that. She was in court and she was uh, trying to convict someone who raped her. And the guy that raped her chose to uh, represent himself and was cross-examining her on the stand hmm. and got so aggressive and made her feel so bad. She jumped up in the middle of court out of the, out of the stand and ran up and got on top of the court building. Just a really crazy situation. She ended up running. She was, you know, there's a large group gathered underneath her. And so she just got up to go to the other side of the building so there wouldn't be people watching, but that's when the cops got her and they grabbed her. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that was, that was something I, you know, I, I think about her. I don't know her name, but I, I, I'm hoping she's doing good, but yeah, definitely that was something that um, changed my life and was, was a positive for me that day. And so how soon after that incident did you move back to Alaska, move back to Sitka? Well, after that, I moved. I just, I just knew that I had to get back to regular scheduled programming. So I did not want to go back to Sitka. Um, I got a job and I moved to Park City and then my son came down with me. Um, and so I lived there and then I got 
with that same company, I got a job in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and, and very, very good jobs, and my son was with me there. So it wasn't until probably, I think, three or four years after that, and music was going really good, like I said. The job was going really good, but um, I just, honestly, the reason I moved back, well, there was multiple reasons, but I realized with what I was doing with music and work that I was not going to be able to be the father that I wanted to be. And uh, my son was in sixth grade at the time, really into basketball. And not only did I want to not miss his basketball games, I wanted to coach him. I wanted to be very involved. So there was no way that with the job I had and with um, my music career that I was going to be able to do that. And so I just moved back home because he was going to move with me to Jackson. I just didn't think that it was going to be fair to him. And so I moved back to Sitka. And now do you feel like you're being the father that you wanted to be? Oh, yeah, it was the best decision I made. I got to coach him and he he played all through high school and I got to be there. It was it was the best decision I made. And I had met my wife at the time. I was trying to convince her to move to Jackson and she was being reluctant. And that's another reason I moved back. So, yeah, no, it was it was the best decision I ever made. I always think about how actually great the change in goals that happens throughout our lives. You know, when I was younger and like I said earlier, and I was snowboarding and, you know, say I was like really in it, say I was like 15 years old and I can't imagine what other goals I might have because my goal in that moment was to be a professional snowboarder, but you know, give it three years, five years, 10 years, 12 years. And now I can't imagine having any other goal, you know, than what my goals are right now. And to me, they're more important than, than those goals were when I was a kid. For sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing about it is, is, you don't know how it's going to feel till you get there. Mm-hmm. And once you're up there, then you're going to see you get a different point of view. And so you're going to see different things. And I think it's really good to set your sights. I mean, I think it's a necessity to set your sights on goals and chase goals. But uh, you don't know where those goals are going to lead you. It's You think it's going one way, but it's really going to lead you another way. And, and that's why you got to just keep, keep chasing something. Mm-hmm. How would you describe your goals and your point of view today? Well, I I've learned that if I can if I can kill two birds with one stone, it's really really good. Uh, I I'm starting a so during COVID I wasn't able to coach because I'm not a teacher and because I travel for work. They told me that after I travel because I travel twice a month. After I travel, I have to come take a test. I have to wait for the results of the test before I can come in and coach the kids. And that would make it so I could coach for about three days a month. And so I wasn't able to coach during this time. And so I've been trying to find a way to get back into coaching. The other thing that was really tough about the program here in Sitka is it's very expensive to run a program. And when you're coaching on the on the program, half of the job is just fundraising. So... I want to help with that. Also, Sitka is very void of any type of culture or live performance, especially hip-hop. 
and there's a whole generation of kids because for years I did hip hop here and I had multiple generations of hip hop fans, but it's been a long time. And so I've got all these kids that I've coached and younger that really don't know what hip hop is. So this summer what I've done is I'm teaching a, a class for free. Uh, a gym here was nice enough to give me my own slot and for the class as part of a fundraiser because there's these really high-end shooting machines that I've always wanted to get the team here. I'm doing a fundraiser that will be a charity basketball game, uh, a live hip-hop event, and also a live battle event. And it'll all be a fundraiser for the shooting machine for this class. And so my goals, I've somehow found a way to do all the things I love. Um, I get to coach, I get to promote a, a big event, I get to rap at the event, I, I get to fundraise and give money to the program, and I get to increase the kids' skill over the summer, so hopefully when they come back to their fall season, they'll, it'll really show. Um, I get to show the kids, you know, that you don't have to be afraid to, you can try anything. If I can be from Sitka and, and be a rapper, then you can be anything, and I get to share a piece of that with them so they see how cool it is, and, uh, I'm really excited about it. So uh, we used to have a festival here, Home Skillet Festival. A lot of people involved, super successful. It went for 10 years and got really big to the point where they basically had to stop it because it was just, you either have to uh, just do this. I mean, it was that big. It was a, a year-round job just to run the festival. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm, I'd like to start that again. I'm going to incorporate it with basketball and music, but I, I'd like to build it up every year. I'd like to see how big I can get this thing. And hopefully I can help with the programs every year to where they don't have to raise as much money. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm excited. You know, Sid, that does it for my questions. Um, man, like I, like I said in the beginning of this conversation, I've been really looking forward to chatting with you on the podcast. I'm a big fan. Um, I love and ha have always loved rap music since I was a kid and specifically lyrical rap music. And, and, and you're one of those guys, man. I appreciate that, Cody. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? If, if anyone's listening, <clears throat> I'm a 43 year old battle rapper. So don't be um, embarrassed to do whatever it is that you want to do and you know chasing your dreams is part of the recipe and you need it and so even if you don't accomplish them just chasing them is going to lead you to the place that you're looking for so I, I just want to encourage people to um, be positive and and do art and be healthy be, you know get physical exercise um, put good things in your body get sleep because these these traps in my mind that I've dealt with, I've come to find that that's really the answer is um, a, a recipe of of those things. And so I, I want to encourage everyone to be conscious of that. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash crude magazine. You can also support this podcast with a one-time payment at buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. Crude Conversations is written, hosted, and produced by me, Cody Liska, 
for Crude Magazine. Crude theme music is produced by Alcoda Beats. Outro music is courtesy of Phonetic. didn't kill myself, I had to heal myself If I'm real with myself, think I still need help Not to touch suicide, but once you decide that this life worth living Then you might start admitting this is all in your head And your mind is a prison Yes, it's all in your head And your mind is a prison No, it's all in your head And your mind is a prison Wait, this is all in my head And your mind is the prison Blonde hair, blue eyes, light skin, tall, smart and handsome What you think's wrong with me? There is no cure when there's not a disease Besides not wanting your son and daughter to see how pathetic the man they call the father can be afraid of this voice in my head it's always talking to me so i started to talk back because none of us want that i'm ready for combat but where is the love at don't want it to come back i need to trust that i never could trust that because if i tell him what is going on inside of my head maybe they'll all call me crazy or i'm better off dead no Got everything I've ever needed I'm ungrateful, yeah, you could bet I see it That's why I've kept this secret But you could best believe There is a war going on that gets the best of me From time to time, but I am fine Cause I can find where I am blind And if I could try to just dry my eye And fight my demise And there is no good reason to say my goodbyes I didn't kill myself, I had to heal myself If I'm real with myself, think I still need help Not to touch suicide But once you decide that this life worth living Then you might Start admitting this is all in your head And your mind is the prison Yes, it's all in your head It's your mind is the prison No, it's all in your head And your mind is the prison Wait, this is all in my head And your mind is the prison So take a victory lap Because you didn't collapse And don't diminish the fact That you've been living with that It's not easy looking normal on the outside Never let them see a sweat The funny thing about pride It's a lie to its core So what you lie to me for You should take off the mask And check your pride at the door Cause when you're lying on the floor dead There's no one left to tell the truth no more said And if you would just stop lying to yourself The only thing you wanted was for them to understand Inside your head I didn't kill myself, I had to heal myself If I'm real with myself, think I still need help